You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. When I get cold towards the things of the Lord, it's warmed my affections and picked me back up and motivated me. It's corrected me. It stirred my desires to serve Christ. Nothing really thrills the human soul like hearing from God. People don't realize that. They think that their soul will be satisfied in other ways, and so they go to those water holes and they drink, but it doesn't quite do it. But when they really hear from God, they realize this is what they've been looking for. This is what the dryness of their soul needed. There is nothing in the world like hearing from God. Have you ever felt that feeling when you're reading scripture and your soul is awakened and refreshed? That's the Spirit of God speaking to your spirit. In today's message, Pastor Tom is going to talk about sharing the Word of God with other people. What is it that others really need to hear from God? How can you be effective when you share the gospel with the people around you? You'll find answers to these questions and more as you listen today. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he begins his message, Logic on Fire, the church's first sermon. Well, I love church. There's something special about being together and worshiping like we just did. That was really beautiful. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't like church. It's true. There are more and more people not coming to church in our culture. They might come from Mother's Day and Christmas, you know, maybe Easter, but they don't really like it. And churches have tried to figure out how to respond to a culture that's less and less Christian and in some ways turning more and more hostile towards biblical truth. And some churches, whether their motives were good or bad, have felt that the smarter thing is to begin to cater to the culture and make the changes with the culture. There are a growing number of churches that respond to this me-first kind of environment that we are in. where People want to cater to themselves and serve themselves first, not by telling the people that come to church to stop being selfish, to decry selfishness as they ought to be doing, but by, in some ways, fanning the flames of selfishness providing self-pleasing activities in church and trying to get rid of the things that they would be they would find objectionable. Some churches don't even want you bringing a Bible because it's too intimidating for other people. The main slogan of all of this has been learn to market the church. And it's become the philosophy of ministry that is in vogue. Leaders want to help people enjoy their church experience. Now, I don't want you to have a bad time on Sunday either, but... Um, They mean it in the way that you might enjoy a Holiday Inn experience or a night out at the movies, that kind of way. And then sprinkle in a smidgen of biblical truth so we can sanctify the morning. This usually means that traditional church activities have fallen out of favor. In particular, an activity that the church has done for 2,000 years that has fallen out of favor is preaching, biblical preaching. It's fallen on hard times. It's no longer preaching season, I think we would say. There once was a time where preaching was in season. It's no longer in season. There are few people that wake up on their Sunday mornings anymore and say, hey, I want someone to preach at me. You guys did, if you didn't realize that. It's what's coming next. (laughs) Particularly having an authoritative pulpit is not acceptable. That's one of the reasons why people are doing away with the the wood, and they're going to the plexiglass, and they come and talk and relate and walk down the aisles. They want to relate. They want to act like there's some authority that booms from God and people have to listen to it. 
And um, that, there's a lot of thought that's given into how they can market the church. And we're kind of uh, old-fashioned here. You know, we put a pretty big-sized pulpit here, although it had to be a little shorter because I'm a short guy. But we put it in the middle, as Protestants have done, and we raised it up because we want all the people to be submissive, not to the man who stands here, but the book that he is supposed to teach from. Authoritative preaching. Well, it seems churches find ways to apologize for preaching. I don't think they come right out all the time and say, I'm sorry I have to preach for five minutes, but it comes out in other ways. They keep their messages very short. When they advertise their church, they make sure to say their messages are contemporary. Come here, our dynamic speaker. We have a cool multimedia presentation we're going to give. It's church like you've never seen it before. And we can dare say also it's church like the apostles of Jesus had never seen before either. It's really not church the way that the church has practiced church. Well, I am joyful that you've come to worship the Lord today and to hear his word preached. Preaching is an essential part of worshiping God. It's not something we do after we worship God. It's the part of our worship where we try to get our hearts ready to listen to what God may say to us. Sometimes, very surprisingly, you see a text of Scripture, you read it, and you think, hmm, there's nothing there for me today. And it, it's amazing how the Spirit of God works in sometimes surprising ways. In fact, I've had people come up after my sermons and thank me for something that I preached that I didn't preach. And uh, the Lord blessed them with it, and uh, God used that truth. So however God works, it's amazing. But I nod my head, but I know I didn't say anything about that. <laughs> but it did bless them. I've also sat on the other side of a pulpit a lot of my Christian life, and I personally have been blessed by preaching. It's unlocked my mind from some of the devil's deceptions. It has steered me away from some dangerous path I was going to go into. When I get cold towards the things of the Lord, it's warmed my affections and picked me back up and motivated me. It's corrected me. It stirred my desires to serve Christ. Nothing really thrills the human soul like hearing from God. People don't realize that. They think that their soul will be satisfied in other ways, and so they go to those water holes and they drink, but it doesn't quite do it. But when they really hear from God, they realize this is what they've been looking for. This is what the dryness of their soul needed. David understood that in Psalm 119. He said, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Why does that work that way? Because when you learn the word and you love the word, you don't want to sin. You look at the sin and the sin is no longer attractive to you. That's why he treasured it in his heart. That's what will happen to those who are wise of heart. They'll listen to a sermon and it will become a blessed treasure in their heart. So I'm pleased to announce that we have a double blessing we get not only to hear a sermon, but we get to preach about a preacher and preach about a sermon. And not just any sermon. This was the first sermon ever preached by the church of Jesus. And what a message it was. And not just because of the results that ensued, so many thousands of conversions, but also because of the incredible and magnificent picture of Jesus Christ that Peter paints in this sermon. So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Acts. That's right after the Gospels. Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up with verses 14 through 36 today. To get the context, I'm going to actually go back and start with verse 12. We'll do 12 through 36 if you'd follow along. And they, this is the crowd at Pentecost, all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what 
does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, And all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so ends the great sermon, but then also we have the part where it responds next, and the people are clearly pierced to the heart, and Peter then instructs them they need to repent and then be baptized and believe in the Messiah.
As we survey the entirety of this sermon, you can see it has three main sections. If you look back to verses 14 to 21, that's kind of his introduction where he gets it all going and he connects with uh, the Jews on that day to give them some setting, some understanding. The main body of the sermon, though, is not really about the Holy Spirit. The main body of the sermon is about Jesus Christ, right? And that's in verses 22 through 36. It reaches that climax that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so there's tremendous conviction of sin that he's trying to bring out, but also the exaltation of this Jesus whom they had known just as a prophet and as a healer and as a rabbi. The closing is the appeal to the Jews, and that's in verses 37 to 41. Today, with all of the background I need to cover, we're just going to be looking at the introduction to this sermon in verses 14 to 21. As you look at it and you look at the main body, you can see that there are a number of exceptional characteristics that we could say are in this sermon. just want to survey some of these for you. You'll notice that he first very wisely starts and connects with the signs that the Holy Spirit had brought on the day of Pentecost, and he uses that, because it had already gotten their attention, he uses that to connect with what he's going to preach on. And then in the body of the sermon, which is all about Jesus Christ, he follows a chronological order. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but he starts with the life of Jesus and talks about how they had seen these things and known these things. And then he moves to his unlawful execution, his supernatural and unstoppable resurrection, that glorious ascension to heaven, his receiving the Holy Spirit from the Father and then pouring out the Holy Spirit on the Jews. This message also has a very clear evangelistic purpose. It climaxes, as I said, in verse 36, where Peter is declaring all the house of Israel. This means the nation of Israel, people. That's what he's talking about. All the house of Israel is supposed to know that God has made him the master and the Messiah. When you look at verse 41, you'll see thousands end up repenting of their false belief about Christ, turning from their sin and placing their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And they do it publicly. The sermon, I think, also is delivered with incredible, unashamed boldness. It rings with brilliant clarity. I tried to read it with maybe some of the tone that Peter would have, but I imagine it was even stronger than that. It says Peter took his stand with the 11. Here are these 11 men, and their faces are aglow, and he just was preaching with such boldness. It had impact. They could see from the way his face was and his manner, this man really believed what he was talking about. This wasn't chicanery. This wasn't a deceitful man. This was a man full of the Spirit of God, and he was bold. I think that's encouraging for all of us to see that God could take ordinary men. I'm going to point that out again. Just take an ordinary man, fill him with his spirit, and make him bold. In fact, he is so bold. I mean, he doesn't care about offensiveness. He even ends with, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, if you're trying to give people a good church experience, you don't tell them you just, you just crucified your Messiah. That's not exactly you know, user-friendly. But he doesn't want them sticking around if they don't get it. They need to get the sorrow first before they can have the joy. They need to have the pain of the heart and the contrition before they can enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I would also say this sermon is markedly theological. It recounts the whole doctrine of Christ. There's a ton of Christology in this sermon. It even relates the Messiah to the Old Testament, these prophecies that were made. How do they relate to Jesus' life? How is it that they are exactly fulfilled? Sometimes it seems all of it was fulfilled. Sometimes it looks like things are still in the future. 
Really, the sermon is a masterpiece of how an ordinary man can be full of the Spirit of God, full of power and of wisdom. What wisdom Peter had here. And again, I say, if you think sometimes I get tongue-tied, I don't know what to say, I feel weak, how could God ever use me? You are the perfect candidate for God to use. This is the kind of man and woman that he uses, ordinary people. And that should encourage you and me. Really, this sermon also demonstrates what I want to preach on today, and that is the preeminence of preaching, the preeminence of preaching as the Holy Spirit's vehicle for communicating God's truth, and the primacy of prophecy as the basis for all good preaching. I want to impress those two truths on you today so that you can understand that and be excited about it. What is a true work of the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of talk about revival and revivalism and where the Spirit of God is really working. And there's some churches that say they're Spirit-filled churches, but are they really? How do you know where the Spirit of God is actually working? Is it the, the, the foment and the ferment and the titillation that happens? Is it, is it just that kind of enthusiasm that proves the Holy Spirit is working? Or does there need to be something else that is there. Church growth experts have studied this and they've debated this. How do we know where the true work of the Spirit of God is? Jonathan Edwards did writings on this a few centuries ago. What is a true work of the Spirit of God? What is it that will ignite when the Holy Spirit is going to work? What brings about a revival among God's people? How can we tell if it's the Spirit of God moving or just what we ate for breakfast? You will always find that at the fountainhead of every true revival in church history, there is the preeminence of preaching, and there is the primacy of prophecy. And I want to talk about that. First, I want to talk about the preeminence of preaching, the preeminence of preaching. Preaching and teaching have always been not merely a tool that God has chosen to use to communicate His truth, but the primary vehicle for communicating divine revelation. And that is true both to lost people and to the people of God. Some people think, well, we can preach for believers, they'll listen to it, but we have to do something different for unbelievers. Not true. These were unbelievers. They were religious people, but they were unbelievers that Peter was preaching to here. Have you ever considered the preeminence of preaching and doctrinal teaching in the history of God's dealings with mankind? You may think that our culture is beyond that. It's too visual. There's just too many graphical things that go on. We're in the virtual reality culture, and so preaching has kind of lost its day. It's, it's no longer in vogue, and we can't use it. We need to do something different if we want to be wise and reach people. If you believe that, you would be woefully misguided. God has always chosen to use preaching in every generation, in every culture. It is not a style. It is God's method. God sends preachers to every generation to bring them back to him. And once they come back, to instruct them. Mommies out there, you ought to be praying if God would want it. Your boys would not grow up to be cowboys. They'd grow up to be preachers. Preaching is a great thing. You should pray for your sons that they'll grow up to become preachers, if God would so have it. It's a great thing. In Genesis 4, that's pretty early, right? Genesis chapter 4, it says Abel was declaring the word of God to Cain, and then he glorified God by his martyrdom when Cain killed him. Enoch, just seven generations from Adam, according to Jude, verse 14, preached the coming of the Lord. Imagine that way back in church history, preaching the coming of the Lord in righteous and holy judgment. 
Second Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness in the days before the flood. And we know exactly what happened to everybody who did not listen to his preaching. Abraham was told to command his family to keep the way of the Lord in Genesis 18.19. Moses would read and teach and explain the law of God. Elijah boldly declared the word of God to King Ahab and to other people and uh, all the obstinate Jews there on Mount Carmel. Ezra dedicated himself to reading and to exposition and application of the Old Testament scriptures to the post-exilic believers. It actually says about Ezra in Nehemiah 8.8, they read from the book, from the law of God, explaining to give the sense so that they understood the reading. That is what we call expository preaching. Isaiah was a preacher. Jeremiah was a preacher. Jonah was a preacher. And my, what a revival came with Jonah. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness doing what? You say he was eating locusts and honey. That's true. But it says he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know why he's not called John the preacher. Why does he have to be called John the Baptist? He baptized, but the first thing he did was preach. Jesus in Mark 1.38 describes his own public ministry primarily not as a healer, but as a ministry of preaching and teaching both to the crowds and to his own disciples. Jesus then took his disciples and he sent them out in Matthew 10, 7, that uh, discourse on discipleship, we call it. And he said, as you go, and the first thing he told them to do, guess what it is? Preach. As you go, preach. Keruso, announce, proclaim loudly, get the word out, spread it like seed everywhere. Preach. First thing it says about the early church in Acts 2.42, we're getting to that. It says that all the people devoted themselves to the apostles' didache, teaching, doctrinal instruction. The primary activity that Paul charged Timothy to do as a pastor was to preach the word in season and out of season. When they want to hear it, preach it. When they don't want to hear it, preach it louder. Second Timothy 4.2, I added the louder part, but that's kind of what it means. Throughout church history, God has always raised up preachers after the apostles. There was Polycarp and Papias, Irenaeus. Then came John Goldenmouth, John Chrysostom, Calvin and Luther and Knox at the times of the Reformation. Whitfield and Wesley, then Spurgeon in, in London. Our country, Lloyd-Jones, many others as well. God's plan has always been to ignite revival and reach people and then build the church up through clear preaching and teaching of his word. Today, however, it appears the modern church has lost sight of that. It seems to me, just from looking and listening and hearing what I do, that churches and radio stations and parachurch ministries are dedicated to just about everything else but biblical preaching. That's how it feels to me. That's how it seems to me. I mean, God told the church, preach my word. What's so hard about that? And they'll give a little bit of the word. Small group discussions are helpful. They help us think through how to apply. It's wonderful to listen to how God is working in other people's lives. Music certainly ministers to our souls. You wake up in the morning singing words more than you would uh, reciting words of a sermon. They engraves it and kind of writes it on our hearts. But God's word is best accentuated in all of its logic, in all of its truth, by maximum exposure to biblical proclamation and instruction. Preaching is, as D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called it, logic on fire. It is 
to be neither stale and lecturing, nor is it to be sentimental and effusive. Preaching is the Spirit taking divine logic and burning it into our souls till it sets us ablaze with love for Christ. Do you love Christ? You want to live for Christ, or you've been listening to too many other things. We say this again and again, what you listen to is what you're going to become. What you say inside of your own mind and what you repeat to yourself, that's how you're going to be. If you want to love Christ and you want to live for Christ, you've got to be saying his word to yourself. You've got to open your mind during times of preaching. You've got to read with understanding. You've got to memorize and reflect. You've got to have your devotions. You've got to feed on the word of God. It's got to be going on in your mind. When the worldly thoughts come, when the worldly priorities come, the anger, the anxiety, the lust, you have to replace it all with God's word. In today's message, Pastor Tom opened up the book of Acts to the day of Pentecost. The disciples gathered in the upper room, received the Spirit of God, and began to speak in tongues, drawing a jeered crowd. In that moment, Peter stepped up and began to preach the gospel boldly, and thousands were saved. We learn that God can take an ordinary person, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and make them bold. We're so glad you joined us today on Discover Hope. We'd like to meet you. So if you're in the area, come visit us at Hope Bible Church. Our Sunday mornings include Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., followed by a worship service at 11 a.m. You can find out more at hopebible.org or give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to invite you to join us in bringing the kingdom of God and the joy of salvation to our listeners by becoming a financial partner of Discover Hope. Find out more under the giving tab at hopebible.org. Next time, Tom will show you that the primary way the gospel is spread is through the preaching of the word of God. He's going to take you through examples in scripture of people who preach the word without worrying about being liked. The world is a crazy place right now and we need the spirit more than ever. Come back next time to find out the true key to revival and what it means to preach the gospel. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit hopebiblechurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.